Good morning, everybody, and welcome to episode 199 of the Quickie Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins, and thank you so much for being here and spending some time here. Before I introduce today's guest, and holy cow, this one is a banger. I think that's like a cool English term for like something that's awesome. Maybe I have that totally wrong. But anyways, this episode is smashing. It is loaded. I have so much to tease with this one. But before I do, I want to take a quick second and tell you about the Simply Profitable Design Summit that I am taking a part of in uh, March 23rd to 27th. This is jam-packed event all online. Show up to this summit in your pajamas. I know I will. Anyways, as a designer, your time is valuable. There's only 24 hours in the day and you factor in, especially like I know how it is with work and family and household tasks and nighttime yoga and meditation and wellness and time for space and all of that. Like that's, that's a lot of stuff. And your clients hire you because you're better at what you do than they are. Then they could go figure out and learn. You're better at that. You free up their time. Another point to consider is that if you have low prices for your designs and your projects, you're likely attracting difficult clients. There have been countless stories on the Quickie Podcast here from guests who have a client horror story where they just weren't treated right, they weren't paid, the terms and conditions weren't ironed out, or even when they were, God, the changes, oh my gosh, the changes. If you want to learn even more ways to simplify your design business, your freelance career, whether that's a side hustle right now or your full-time gig, and you want to make that more effective and profitable, you got to sign up for the Simply Profitable Design Summit. Free tickets. Holy crap. There is over 30 plus experts that will be sharing actionable strategies that you can implement in your design business right away. There is something here for you. Beginner, intermediate, expert, there is something in this summit for you. And honestly, like I said, the best part, it's free. Head over to summit.davetalksprint.com. That is summit.davetalksprint.com. Because you know I'm going to be talking about print for my part of it. But there's so much more. So much more of this thing. Okay, now the episode here today. The guest. Full disclosure... This episode is an hour. It is out of the, the quickie brackets, but I am not going to split this into two parts. I'm going to throw something in right in the middle just to give you a, whew, just a breather before we dive into the second half of it, but I'm going to let this sucker roll. It is going to go because this conversation, not only is it highly entertaining, but there is knowledge bombs, there's twists, there's turns. This is a bloody blockbuster movie, this episode. So who am I talking about? Today, my guest is Timba Smits. He is a graphic artist, an illustrator, and a curator. Yeah, he's not messing around. He's also the founding member of the Daydream Club. This gentleman is out of London, England, and I'm so glad to have him on the show. During this episode, and I have so much to tease here, like it's crazy. 
During this episode, we talk about how he originally wanted to be a fine artist, and he opened up a gallery. Do you know what he called it? The Timba Gallery. Yes. He talks about why he chose the brilliant name, what the success of that gallery taught him. We then talk about the magazine that he started with a friend that carried on for over six years. We also get into the contest that he won that allowed him to have a taste of London. Whenever I see in London, I hear, um, you know, Joey and friends, London, baby. The contest that he won that gave him just a little glimpse of London and what London life was like. He talks about then later moving to London and what that did for his career and what travel can do for your career. He then tells us about the canvas competition that he won on uh, borrowed canvas that just flicked the design switch for him, just flicked a creative switch and turned him 100% onto that direction. We also talk about his self-published magazine, what he learned and how it progressed and it grew. He tells us what magazine that was. How the first 10 years of his career just went sailing. He was cruising, doing amazing. But then one night there was an incident that absolutely kicked his legs out from under him. Metaphorically, not physically kicked his legs out, but that just derailed his career created a whole bunch of mental self-doubt and a few years of being stuck and trying to figure out what was next. He talks about that and, oh, guys, that, it was a shocker. Ah, uh, yeah, I'm just, that's, I'm going to leave that one there. He then shares with us the art event that was highly successful that really started as just a way to distract him and a friend from the tough time that they were experiencing together. And then there is the, the turnaround moment that he shares with us, how the first issue of a magazine project he was a part of, what happened there, and how that just turned his life around at that point, helped him get out of that really tough state he was in. And um, yeah, we talk about crying. We're grown men. We talk about crying, and that's okay. Guys, this episode is just jam-packed, and I have rambled on for way too long now, but hopefully you are just as excited to hear this episode as I am to hit play for you right... Oh, wait. So here we go. And play. Welcome to the Quickie Podcast, the daily interview show where we talk to graphic designers about their journey to the creative field, and we do it in 30 minutes or less. So, are you ready for a Quickie? Timba, welcome to the Quickie Podcast. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, Dave. How are you? I'm doing great. So, a recent move to London, you feel like you're settled in? Settling in, yeah. Perfect. Settling in. Just yet, but settling in nicely. Awesome. Um, Are you ready for a quickie before we get going here? Yes. Yes. I mean, anybody that knows me knows that I like to take the long way around. But yeah, no, I'm totally up ready for a quickie. Yeah. Perfect, man. Well, let's start with the tough stuff. Briefly tell the listeners about yourself. Cool. Um, Yeah, my name's Timber Smith. I'm a graphic artist, illustrator, and curator um, based out of London. 
Um, I'm I'm versatile in 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 the in the work that I do. You mm-hmm. take one look at my work, you'll see type, illustration, graphic design, print, digital, all coming together into into the into the one thing. Um, and you know, I'm versatile in the sense as well that uh, over the years I've ran magazines, I've opened art galleries. I mean, I even I even opened up a, a nightclub with my brother at one point, which <laughs> failed miserably. <laughs> um, I'm a huge daydreamer. This has always been a really, really, really big um, thing for me ever since I was a kid. In fact, so much so that I have a little side project that I run, which is called the Daydream Club by Timber Smiths. It's a collaborative. A mostly offline collaborative art project between me and other artists. Um, I'm a big lover of puns, a huge movie lover, and often I like to fuse those things together. I'm looking forward so, to that. Puns and movies, you'll see a lot of uh, <laughs> pieces of my work with that kind of humor. Um, what else? I mean, I'm also kind of giant. I'm sitting down at the moment, but if I yeah. stood up, you'd just see a lot of kneecaps. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pushing, pushing two meters, but super friendly. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of my, a lot of my friends have a. Uh, I'd, I'd say it's a stolen nickname because it's a pretty famous book, but uh, by a, by a, you know, a not so well known act uh, author called uh, Roald Dahl. You mm-hmm. know, the BFG. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, I mean, yeah, that's 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 pretty much me in a nutshell, man. Yeah. That covers it up. The only thing I'll add to that is, um, in my family, we don't grow them tall. You don't? No. no? No, we do not. No, I'm standing up right now, actually. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I'm totally sitting up. Yeah, look, um, the only time that I ever, ever wish that I was smaller in stature is when I'm at the snow, which is a, you know, we'll get into that later, but I'm, I'm really big into snowboarding and skiing. And, okay. you know, height has its advantages in some aspects of life. But, geez, when I'm on the snow, I really wish I had a lower sense of gravity. So I look at all the shorter people around me get, looking at them like through jealous lenses. <laughs> Your fall is just a little bit more. <laughs> oh, mate. Yeah, I don't even have to like go off a jump. The fall's hard enough when I hit an edge, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Awesome. Um, Timbo, so you've been out on your own doing graphic artist and illustrator stuff under your name. Um, yeah. Did you kick it in studio life before making that move or what's your what's your quick path here? Um, so, I mean, I've always... I've always worked under Timber Smiths, but have like jumped in and out of working in, in studios. Um, I mean, if we want to go right back to the very beginning, I, I, you know, after, after finishing high school, I did like so many different odd jobs. Some of them like not even creative at all, you know, sales jobs, telemarketing jobs, um, whilst, uh, you know, and using those jobs to, to fund my art practice. Mm-hmm. Um, Look, to be honest, when I first started out, I wanted to be an artist, a fine artist, and and that 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 was that was going. I won't say it was going well, but it was going uh, for some time. I was twenty when I opened up my first art gallery, nice. um, called Timber Gallery. <laughs> yeah, nice. classic name. Um, and I mean, I didn't have any idea of how to run a business at that stage, so it didn't last any longer than twelve months before it failed. But you know, I learned a lot from it. Um, and then after that, I, I took a, a small freelance job in a studio for about three months. Um, after that, for a solid 10 years, it was it was me on my own freelancing. Um, I, together with a friend in 2004, 2005, mm-hmm. uh, formed a magazine and we self-published it ourselves. And uh, that magazine was called Wooden Toy Quarterly. Oh, I thought it was going to be like the Timber Pages. 
<laughs> after the timber gallery to never call anything after myself again <laughs> this episode is officially titled the timber talk <laughs> yeah, cool. Um, and so I, yeah, I, I started out like really just by jumping in the deep end on my own with with a friend. Like I said at the time, we started the magazine together. Mm-hmm. We ran it for about four years together before we split ways, and I continued with the magazine for about a good six years after that. That's what nice. actually brought me here to London. So I formed my own studio, really. Um, and through that, through running that magazine, I collaborated with artists and designers and illustrators from all over the world. Um, and then that led me to a crossroads where I, this is all back in Australia as mm-hmm. well, where mm-hmm. I'm originally from. Uh, so it was around 2009 when I hit a crossroads, I felt like I couldn't grow the magazine any further mm-hmm. than I'd got it there. Because, you know, let's face it, Australia is a long way away from the rest of the world. Uh, they don't call it down under for nothing. And and uh, it's in its own, like, little bubble there. Uh, great creative scene, but just small. And uh, I wanted more. I, I wanted a lot more. And so I entered this competition and, and I won this award to go to London on a scholarship. I was meant to come here for three months and then go back to Australia and, and sort of put to use everything that I learned from meeting magazines here. I had some mentors that I was connected with. But once I got a taste of life in London and the create the international creative scene, mm-hmm. well, shit, I couldn't go backwards from there, you know? Mm-hmm. Like going back to Melbourne felt like, you know, going back to almost a prison in a sense, yeah. So really um, the, the contest you won that gave you a taste of London that that yeah. That taste of London turned into a much, much longer stay than originally planned. It turned into a, to a whole other career in itself. So really, and I'll get, probably get to this like later on with you. Don't want to like you know really jump in <laughs> the deep end too far <laughs> with you right now. But I can split my like career up into two phases. I mean, I've been at this for like twenty years now, mm-hmm. and uh, there's there's a very, very clear ten year and ten year like period in my and you can chop it down the middle i've had two careers wow. and um one was back in melbourne and then one was here when i got to london yeah perfect so the, the when you <coughs> came over to london really it was the magazine was your driving creation in london yep definitely was i won that award on the basis that i came here to launch an issue but there were very specific things that I had to do in order to to get the money from the scholarship. You know, yeah. I basically mm-hmm. submitted a business plan in a, in a sense to the British Council with the people who uh, were running the awards program. Okay, and I and I had a very like uh, very um, cemented program of of events and collaborations that I was going to do during these three months, mm-hmm. and I did them all. And then, uh, I, but I didn't. I finished them all, but I didn't feel like I was finished here, you know, and I just, uh, I wanted to keep going. So I went home, packed everything up, bought a ticket and came back here on my own accord. You know, packed up my whole life there, my studio and, and literally moved it here to London on my own without really knowing anyone other than the people that I met through this scholarship. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I tell you what, like, you know, it took me 10 years, like trying I mean, no, it took me 10 years to get to where I got, but it probably took five years, like really trying to get my foot in the door internationally from Melbourne. Mm-hmm. And, and within six months in London, just everything seemed to work. 
everything was like everything that I'd been trying to achieve for five years just started happening through hard work, mind you, and you know, a little a little bit of luck here and there, but started meeting the right people, started getting these amazing like illustration jobs from you know, Wired Magazine and The Guardian and like all these clients that I just, you know, dreamed of working with for years and years and years back in Australia, but never really could, uh, could like kind of catch them on my line from back there. Mm -hmm. Cause you have to have really, really, really freaking long line to cast from Australia to London. <laughs> definitely for sure. So that little stint in London definitely opened some doors for you in terms yeah. of coming back and, and kicking them open further. Massively, massively. And, and through that, I, I learned that travel is hugely important in what we do, you know, as, as creative people, you know, if you, if you, if you keep yourself like, uh, you know, within this little bubble, uh, you're missing out on all these like incredible opportunities that are, that are really just a flight away or a train away totally. or a bus or whatever. You know, you don't have to like fly internationally. If you live in a big country like the States or Canada or Australia, even just moving to another city is enough to like, you know, lift your like career to a whole new level that you never thought was like achievable. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Um, I want to just kick this back for a minute to childhood. I want to hear a little bit about mom and dad and who, who sort of guided you in this creative direction or if that was something you took on naturally and did they encourage that or did they want you to go the doctor route or the basketball route, I guess, in your <laughs> case. Like, what, what, give me a, just a brief intro to, to mom and dad and how they played a role. Yeah, cool. I mean, I've got amazing parents. My mom and dad, I, I love them to pieces. They're fully supportive of me now. Um, going back to <clears throat> when I was, you know, 15, 16 and really starting to show signs of being a creative kid, were they as supportive back then? Probably not. Mum, 110% yes. Dad, okay, I admit he, you know, he was more of the, I want you to be a doctor, I want you to be a scientist type dad. Yep. Look, that's just, it's a generational thing. You know, Definitely. my dad, my dad was, my dad was pretty hard on, on, all three of us, I'm the middle child of, of two brothers, <clears throat> older and a younger. And um, we all got it like pretty, you know, tough when, uh, you know, we were, we were that same age going through school, high school and, you know, getting, getting towards the end there. And, you know, you're starting to think about what are you going to do for the rest of your life? And dad was, you know, kind of knocking on, knocking down that, that, that that door you know like mm -hmm. the science door you've got to you've got to come through here with me like do what i did and mum was always like very much on the other side of that spectrum just being like be who you are follow your <laughs> so yeah it was very confusing didn't like really know who to who to believe and so i just decided to believe in myself you know uh, okay listen i've got parents here with like with a split opinion on this, I'm just going to have to like trust my own instincts on this. And, 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 um, and yeah, I, from a very young age, I showed a uh, huge creative potential. Um, like I said, I got two brothers, both, both of them I'm very close with. We were best mates growing up, but the, the difference between us was creativity. Like I was the only arty one in the family. Um, they're both, they were both into cars and girls and partying, like growing up. And I was into like, you know, uh, spending hours and hours in my bedroom, drawing, painting, playing with Legos up until the, well, shit, I still play with Lego, but <laughs> up until the age of, <laughs> up until the age of like 18, you know, like still messing around with Lego, painting models, 
um, I was quieter, you know, and because of that, I got bullied a lot at school for being that quiet, like weird kid that yeah. carried around a pencil case that was bigger than his body, you know, because, <laughs> um, you know, you got to have all your art tools on you at, at any given time, you know, you never when the, you never know when the creative urge is going to come. <laughs> totally. And, uh, and so, yeah, I spent a lot of time by myself. Um, and this is like probably when I started to like really notice design and illustration. Um, up until then, it was like like all kids. It's just a fascination. It's a, it's a, it's about imagination. It's about daydreaming. It's about inventing worlds and all this sort of stuff. But then when I started like seriously getting into collecting Lego, GI Joes, um, you know, playing with like uh, paint, sorry, like collecting miniatures and painting these things like Dungeons and Dra- Dungeons and Dragons oh, miniatures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they came with these like really intricate, like elaborate, uh, beautiful illustration uh, packaging. Typography was amazing on it, and I know that you know, like some of listening to some of your other podcasts, a lot of other you know creatives feel the same way about the toys that they grew up with playing. Um, you know, we kept the packaging, <laughs> and uh, and and I still do that to this day. I keep the packaging for everything, and it drives my girlfriend nuts. But, you know, I just, I have this connection to, you know, somebody, somebody, somebody canned that shit, you know, I yeah. need to keep that. You know? <laughs> um, we almost and, become hoarders in support of others. <laughs> yeah, totally. I'm the first to admit I'm a massive hoarder of many, many, many different things. Um, and so, yeah. And, and also like at school, I started to become, that's, I also started to notice a real early entrepreneurial flair as well. Mm-hmm. So I never played Dungeons and Dragons. I mentioned this just before. I used to paint them. Um, and so what I did was I painted them and sold them to the kids that played because nice. they couldn't paint for shit, you know. Um, and so it was a good exchange, you know. I'd buy I'd buy these models for like one dollar each um, and sell them for like you know, sometimes ten ten dollars, twenty five for a dragon, you know, like <laughs> good deal. Um, and so I made some good pocket money through through early high school doing that. Uh, and then <clears throat> this will be the last like little bit that I'll throw in about my childhood because this is a really really like uh, crucial part of my uh, of my early of my early career and a launch pad to what would come next. But in my final year of high school, mm-hmm. I won this like incredible competition through through a bit of through some naughty means, mind you, like uh, <laughs> every every Friday night there was big football match, like like American football or whatever. Um, we have Australian rules football. And uh, every Friday night at the big games, they'd have these banner competitions and whoever had the best banner would win a $1,000 um, competition prize. And I wasn't really into football, but – my friend was and he used to go to every single one of these Friday night games and he and he cut this like deal with me like Timber you paint the banner I'll take it to the game we'll split the winnings in half and uh <clears throat> I thought to myself cool yeah um I painted this banner by stealing some of my art teacher's like uh, canvas yeah. without it you know yeah. without, without him knowing um my friend he took the, the the banner to the football I'm there watching it on TV at home and then next thing, the commentators like zoom to our banner. And there's my friend Craig like waving it in the air, and and um, commentator says, you know, that's that's the winning banner from for for tonight. And this was being televised to millions of people around the country. 
Um, now, little did I know that the team that was playing was my art teacher's team. So nice. he's there at home watching. Yeah. He sees Craig, like another you know student from his class with the banner, and then he gets into class on Monday morning and realizes he's missing about two by three meters worth of canvas, and he put two and two together. Anyway, he was really proud of us for like, you know, for what we achieved. <laughs> um, and and he and then he said, and and congratulations on the eight hundred and fifty dollars that you won. And uh, Craig and I looked at each other and we we're like, eight hundred and fifty was a thousand. He's like, yeah, minus the one hundred and fifty for the canvas that you stole from me. <laughs> <laughs> it's just this like funny memory that's just been there for for my whole life that I come back to as probably being the springboard yep. for launching me into a career in art and illustration. That was the first moment outside of selling these miniatures to kids where I thought, shit, I can make money from doing this. You know? That's I awesome. I just picture and somebody gives me money. It's a great, <laughs> great when you, as soon as you make that connection when you're an artist, it's like, okay, here we go. This is yeah. Um. So... I, I feel like you might have answered this next question. So I'm just going to skip right over Oops. that one. No, no. I, and I love that. Um, but Tim, who are some of the designers and brands that you look up to and closely follow? And what is it about them that you like? I mean, like, like a lot of people that you have on this show, I guess, you know, it's a big question. There's so many to name. Um, but I'd like to probably just answer, you know, by giving you a designer an artist and and maybe a couple of brands because you know I'm into more than just graphic design or I'm into more than just illustration so I I follow people and admire artists from all different like disciplines so if we to start off with like graphic design I'd probably say like Annie Atkins you know the graphic designer for Wes Anderson I mean I just you know absolutely love his films you know from a from a pure art direction point of view it's just incredible and yeah, Annie Atkins is behind all of that, um, along with other designers here and there. But yeah, she's—I I follow her like religiously, and I've seen her talk twice at festivals mm-hmm. over here in Europe, and I'm absolutely fascinated and uh, you know slightly jealous at the same time. <laughs> yeah, um, from an art point of view, I absolutely love the the Patrick bro- uh, the Patrick duo. They're not brothers, sorry. The Patrick duo from Brooklyn that are known as Fail. <clears throat> Uh, love these guys, their work. I've, I own a couple of their prints. Um, I, I can just stare at their work for days, absolute days. Um, does it in, does it inspire my work? Not necessarily, but I just you know like I just really look up to them as artists. They're prolific. They're hardworking. Mm-hmm. Their output is amazing, um, and I just love that collaboration that they have. You know, it's always been something that you know I hope to reach at some point in my you know in my career is find that. That, that, that other person that I can, you know, team up with. Mm-hmm. Um, some brands. We've got um, Yeah Studio out of Paris. Uh, love their stuff. Um, husband and wife team, Laura and, and Stefan Cassier. <coughs> and uh, another name, and this is probably a name that's been mentioned a few times on your podcast, but Johnny Cupcakes. Um, I've, had the, I've had the pleasure of working for Johnny a, a number of times and, Actually, um, talking to him late last year, we'll be uh, collaborating with him again soon. Cool. Love the guy's energy, the amount of personality that he injects into his brand. It's fun. It's relatable. Uh, it's, I mean, 
any any brand can learn a lot from that guy, and so many have, you know. Definitely, no, those are great names. Um, Annie Atkins, I wasn't too familiar with that, so I definitely want to learn more about her and uh, the work that she's put together. Mm-hmm. So, Timba, I want to now slide into a question about print and packaging design. Um, mm-hmm. I want to hear how you have utilized print and packaging design in your career and any stories of special projects that really stand out to you in that sort of print and packaging world. Yeah, cool. I mean, um, going back to a, an earlier answer, you, you might remember I, I started self-publishing a magazine back mm-hmm. in the mid-2000s. Um, at the time, had absolutely no idea about print. Up until up until starting that magazine, I'd done a couple of pamphlets here and there, and a couple of nightclub flyers from my failed nightclub with my brother. <laughs> and um, you know, my friend and I at the time we launched into doing this eighty-six page magazine. At the time, it was free. We, we and and we didn't really know how much these things cost. Yeah. Um, we looked into getting it locally printed, and we were like, "Wow, you know, we're going to have to sell all of our limbs to afford that." Um, let's let's look at China. We started printing in China. It was a lot more affordable, especially for a free magazine. Um, and you know, but we didn't we didn't spare any expense. We you know because we printed in China, we could afford you know some uh, elaborate finishes finishes like some spot glosses. Look mm-hmm. out, um, matte coating, like nice uh, diff- different paper stocks. Yeah. You know, uh, going from uncoated to a to a glossy midsection. Look out! <laughs> um, and then after that, like we we started, you know, really pushing the magazine. It became bigger um, and required more paper. And and um, we started printing it locally in Australia. So we we took the we took the printing from from China back home. Um, and through that, we could have a bit more of a hands-on approach to it. We, we would go down to the printers and we'd, we'd do press checks and we'd see the pages coming off the line. It was like super fascinating to me. I'd never really been in that situation before. And I felt so proud that, you know, we'd, we'd, uh, we'd made these things ourselves, you know, and, and that we were the client and the designer all at the same time. Um, so... That was my very first introduction into print. Mm-hmm. And then Chris, my business partner at the time, like he split and I continued doing it. And I wanted this thing to, you know, really grow into something that people would collect, hold on to, look at for inspiration. And 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 I managed to achieve all of that and then some, you know, like over the over the years it grew into a magazine that came in bespoke packaged boxes with additional zines and prints and wow. limited edition certificates. Each copy was numbered, so you only got one of 5,000 made. Um, and, I mean, that legacy still lives on today. Like, you know, 15 years later, I still get emails from people just being like, hey, man, would love to collaborate with you, by the way. Like, I met you when you were making Wooden Toy that that was the magazine that got me into being a graphic designer. Um, I discovered so many illustrators through through subscribing to that mag, um, and that was that was one of the the the, the most um, beautiful sides of that project for me was the amount of opportunities that that magazine was able to give to young artists and designers and illustrators and photographers mm-hmm. who were looking to establish themselves. 
Um, but at the same time, I was trying to establish myself and you know, I didn't know <laughs> what I was doing, but I didn't let them know that. Yes, <laughs> but, exactly. But um, it, it was, it was something that I hold like, you know, really dear to my heart knowing that, you know, like I, I, I probably inspired thousands of like young designers to get into graphic design and illustration through running that, that magazine for, you know, near on 10 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the magazine was called Wooden Toy Quarterly. You can look it up. There's still images like online. Um, it's famous for being the only quarterly magazine to come out once per year. <laughs> <laughs> it was a beast. It was like t- towards its end game. It was 186 pages wow. of just wall to wall typography, illustration, photography. There wasn't a, an I'm all about filling the page. I mean, if we're going to chop down trees here and we're going to like, you know, ink these pages, we may as well use up all the space, you know. I mean, I always say a tree lost its branch for this magazine, this this piece of paper, so I may as well make the most of it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And and because of that, they, they became collector's items, you know. People never let these things go, yeah. Awesome. That's a great one. I'm going to look that up for sure and get some visuals of this. It sounds incredible. Yeah, cool. I'll send you some after the podcast as oh, well. Oh, beauty. Yeah, that'd be awesome. All right. I I was not lying. Like, this episode is so much fun. Just dynamite. Uh, I want to take just a quick second to remind you of the Simply Profitable Design Summit that I am a part of but from March 23rd to 27th. If you have not had the chance yet because you're listening to an amazing podcast episode, perhaps... Um, head over to summit.davetalksprint for your free ticket. This summit will help you in your design career, whether you are in-house, freelance, a little bit of both. It'll help you be more efficient, use your time better, learn how to manage your clients better, help increase your, your rates, help everything. This will be an amazing, helpful event. Free tickets summit.davetalksprint.com. Again, that is summit.davetalksprint.com. Can't wait to see you there. So let's get back to the Timber Talks. Mm. Well, Timba, I got to get into the tough stuff now. I got to get through some questions here that'll drag you through some memories that you'd rather not remember. And uh, we'll talk about it. We'll share some lessons learned and we'll quickly move on to some happy stuff. Yeah, cool. Um, what has been the most challenging period of time in your design career so far? Why was it challenging, and how did you get through it? Yeah, cool. We're about we're get, we're about to get deep here. We're about to get deep and nice. slightly sh- slightly shocking. Are you, are you ready for this? Um, so, like like I said earlier, you can break my career up into like two parts, um, and that's not that's not only because of my my midway move from Australia to the United Kingdom. Um, so I've been doing this for 20 years. Uh, the first part was like a real hard slog. That was the getting started, growing a name, like building a name for myself back in Australia. Everything was going great. I won that scholarship to London. Uh, I got here and I started working with the best. Everything was going amazing. And that was probably like, you know, 10 years. That was exactly 10 years into my career. I started in 2000. And that was 2010, right? That's the first like decade. And then boom, everything went wrong. Like, um, and this is where it gets quite shocking. Uh, 
I I was uh, a year into my time here in London, mm-hmm. uh, and I was on a bus and I got stabbed like three what? times by some uh, some 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 youths on the bus, um, and nearly lost my life. Ended up in hospital for for weeks, uh, six months of physical therapy. Um, thought I was fucking Superman after that. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, I felt strong. I'd been doing all this physical therapy and that was actually like probably the first bit of fitness that I'd ever applied myself to in my life outside mm-hmm. of playing sports at school. <laughs> and uh, and I felt great physically, but like I didn't, I didn't notice the mental cracks that were like starting to appear underneath. Um, so about 12 months after that brutal attack, I just... Mate, I hit the I hit the floor. Depression, post traumatic stress disorder, acute anxiety, like the works, the absolute works, Crazy. and this like completely like crippled me personally. Yeah, um, but it completely derailed my career. You know, goodbye clients, goodbye um, momentum, goodbye like collaborations, just mm-hmm. goodbye everything. You know, um, and that and that went on for good part of two years uh so it's 2013 now three years have gone by since um you know the the start of my second decade um and i i poked my head out of my shell for the first time you know i I woke up one day and i felt okay you know i didn't want to be in my shell anymore and uh, i felt like you know i'd I'd, I'd been through the ringer and it was about time to like dip my toe back in that pond again Mm -hmm. um and so I, I uh, and now we're into the bit of like, how did I get over that? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So during during that whole like ordeal, like I got over the physical and the mental side of things just by doing a lot of rehab and a lot of um, uh, therapy with uh, you know psychotherapists and counselors and everything. Yeah. But how did I get back into my career? Well, I just you know look back to the very, very, very beginning of everything creative for me and just thought about what it was that made me the most happy. And that was like creating art and making art and, and seeing people interact with that art. So I remembered what it was like doing the banner and the football and knowing that, you know, like millions of people were like looking at that and, you know, how that might have inspired, you know, some young artist to, to take up a career in art and illustration himself or herself. And um, I thought this is what I need to do. I just need to dip my toe back in by, like, making some art and putting together an exhibition. So mm-hmm. together with a friend of mine who, now this is another layer, another shocking layer, <clears throat> a year after my attack, my best, one of my best friends in London uh, was hit with a brain tumour. And uh, the two of us, during that, during that, uh, you know, the aftermath, we're dealing with these two really, really hard uh, challenges, life yeah. challenges. Yeah. It's me trying to pick up the pieces after nearly losing my life from a from from my attack, and then him at the early stages of of a brain tumor. You know, dealing with a, living the rest of his life with a brain tumor, which is still, uh, you know, is is a day to day challenge for him. Um, and so together we just needed this distraction and we both loved film, uh, and we decided we'd do some film inspired exhibition 
and we embarked on <laughs> a very ambitious project of getting 250 artists together from all around the world and doing this exhibition called Not For Rental at a gallery here in London. Um, and the exhibition was getting artists to uh, create an artwork on a VHS cover um, inspired by their favorite film. And that was their canvas, like find a VHS cover and you can do whatever you want. The artwork can be on the outside, it can be on the inside. And we set up this gallery like a, like a video, like a blockbuster video shop, right? Yep. People came in, they looked around, they could pick them up off the shelf and look at them. And when people bought them, we put a, you know, like a, one of those um, out for rental signs, you know, on oh, the shelf. Awesome. <laughs> And just it was it was it was fun and 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 uh, it was a charity show. So he um, chose Macmillan Cancer Research as his charity, and then I chose this charity called Art Against Knives, which is a local charity here in London, which helps prevent knife crime amongst uh, young people by intervening with with uh, art and and illustration and design. And so, with their help, we 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 were able to put on this big ambitious exhibition. Um, it was a huge success. It got picked up by all the creative press in London and 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 the rest of the world as well. Um, and through that, um, I wasn't expecting this, but the gallery itself was connected to a publishing house, and that publishing house uh, published two magazines: one called Little White Lies and one called Huck. Um, okay. And Little White Lies is, you know, in my opinion, the world's best film magazine. And um, <laughs> no, no more than a week into having this show up on the walls, uh, the publisher and the general manager like called a meeting with me, and they were like, "We were super impressed with what you've done here with this show and how you've managed to bring all these artists together with such flair and and um, in such a in such a." chill fashion as well you're a super calm dude under pressure and and uh it just so happens that our whole creative department has decided to leave and start up an, another studio and we're in <laughs> desperate need of an art director yeah and uh and i was like so what you're asking is do i want to be art director and they were like yes and at first i freaked out you know i just was like i'm not ready for this like uh you know i'm just dipping my toe back in guys you know like yeah. you're trying to throw me in the deep end here without any floaties on you know like <laughs> yeah and uh do you know what floaties are yeah 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 those are like the little arm air, the yeah. arm yeah yeah the ar arm yeah, pillows for lack of a better term right yeah <laughs> arm pillows <laughs> yeah that's also a good name um and they offered me this position i had to take some time to think about it but after a week I decided that this is exactly what I needed. This was going to be my recovery. I needed to put myself into this position. Um, and so I took the job uh, and I was able to start by employing a couple of designers and, and start to build this new team. And I ended up there for four years before I uh, decided to, to leave and go to Berlin. And um, from Berlin, I moved back here to London recently. Yeah. Crazy, man. That's an incredible story how that all went down and sort of the the massive ups and downs and whirlwinds that yeah. that incident really kicked off for you. And, yeah. And the path that that really led you down. It just, it, wow. Like, it, it, led, it led me down this incredible path, actually. Um, you know, uh, it wasn't all bad. You know, I, I look back, I look back on that now and actually 
thank God that it happened. It's really weird. You, mm-hmm. might, you might, you might, you know, people listening in might just be like, you know, how can you say that? But but I found so many incredible silver linings in the aftermath yeah. of that experience, and I and I and I connected with so many amazing people and formed new friendships. I lost old friendships, but they were replaced with like new ones that were better for me. It allowed me to look at my life under a microscope and and really make some important changes, which I think everybody should do on a yearly or at least like three year basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's not wait until these major shitty things happen in our lives to do that. So straight away after that attack, like I stopped drinking, I stopped smoking. I, you know, I didn't smoke a lot, but I social smoke. I stopped drinking. I stopped drinking coffee. I stopped smoking. I stopped taking recreational drugs. Mum, that's I didn't take re- recreation. <laughs> you might want to edit that. He's bit talking out. about a friend. He's talking about <laughs> yeah, a yeah. Um, I so just, it basically like, it, it caused a lot it forced you to self-reflect yeah. and to self-discover beyond yeah. that yeah massively massively and on a personal level but then on a career level as well so one of the real shitty things that happened during that time was i had to close my magazine down right i felt like it was stolen from me and you know what i only stopped grieving about three years ago mm-hmm. on that Mm-hmm. You know, I felt, I felt like I didn't get my own magazine to the point where I wanted to get it, but now I'm fine with it because along came this other opportunity through Little White Lies and I you know, felt like what I did in that four years was like hugely uh, more influential to myself yeah. and to others than what I achieved in the 10 years like with my, with my magazine, you know? Totally. Um, and so... Yeah, I learned a lot about overcoming adversity like through that experience. And, you know, I don't wish that experience upon my worst enemies, man. But there are going to be moments in your life and in your career where shitty things are going to happen. And, you know, this is this is the moment. These are the moments in life where you learn exactly how tough you are. Um personally but then also creatively mm-hmm. you know i was really scared there for quite a while that i was never going to get my creativity back it scared the absolute shit out of me right it was one of the scariest moments in my life because you know up until that point i was i was an artist and the artist was me you know we were very connected and mm-hmm. and i felt like i just had my dna ripped out of me right now i don't feel that way anymore you know, like, heck, I love art, but it's not my its not my everything, you know. I can walk away from it. I can walk away from it tomorrow for two weeks and just go and do other things, and that's healthy. That's Definitely. really, really healthy, right? Definitely. Yeah. Wow. Okay, man, I got one more that's going to just, like, touch a little bit on the tough stuff. It's an easier one, and then we'll slide into the happy place. Yeah, yeah, um, cool. But, Timba, very simply, what – is something that you're struggling with in your design career right now? Um, that's quite an easy one for me because it's a conversation that I have with, you know, my, my partner and, and, and a lot of my like uh, close friends mm-hmm. and it's, uh, it's, it's single word pace. Um, things, things are moving faster and faster. Right. Yes. Um, and, and, and I'm not, I'm not alone in thinking this way. Um, for, for, for me, for me personally, it's, it's, it's tough because my process is quite slow. 
you know, one one look at my work, you see a lot of layers, you see a lot of texture, you see a lot of detail, you know, and 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 I am that 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 is me. Um, I am this attention to detail fiend, and the pressure to produce, communicate, and react faster and faster um, is a real struggle to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Last year, for example, I, I had a tough year last year, uh, like dealing with this, you know, like, do I make some adjustments to my work? Do I, do I take some of that texture out? Do I take some of that detail out? Do I like kind of simplify things a bit more, you know, um, just to, just to like keep up with that pace. And, and in the end, I just decided, you know what, like, fuck it. This is me, man. This yep. is this is how I work. I'm not going to let the industry bully me around, just like I didn't let those shits on the bus bully me around. You know, like uh, I, uh, you know, I, I, and I was bullied at school, and I didn't let those bullies bully me around, but they still smashed me in the face. But anyway, um, I don't. You know, I feel like uh, the the. the technology and the, and the speed of it is it can can be looked at as a bully you know mm-hmm. it, it pressures mm-hmm. us into like making some changes that we don't really want to make mm-hmm. um don't make us happy and so that's something that yeah like i struggle with and i don't think i'm alone uh, in feeling that way i know that there's there's a lot of other people um in my circle that feel similar and and probably a lot of this will probably relate to a lot of people listening in to to this podcast um yeah that that's that's my that's my number one thing like yeah. time and pace i, I couldn't I agree more and you know as things become more and more accessible with the click of a button or the quick touch yeah. of a screen it sort of creates this culture of of expectation of, mm-hmm. of, of that's what it is. Everything should be at the click of a button. Everything. Well, why is it going to take you two months to do this piece? I can get it at five or in three days. <laughs> Man, right? yeah. like that sort of, that sort of instantaneous that culture, right? Yeah. Okay, Tim, I'm turning this bus around. I want to hear about a project that you've been a part of that you are the most proud of, the one that just makes your heart sing. Yeah, cool, man. Well, I mean, it's a, yeah, it's a tough one because I was really proud of what I was able to achieve with with Wooden Toy Quarterly, my own mm-hmm. magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, however, like I said, I didn't get that to the point where I wanted to get it to. So I've got a bit of a, you know, love hate relationship with that memory. Yep. So I, I would I would say the one that wins is my very first issue as art director of Little White Lies. Yes. Um, I came on board at a really 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 difficult time. Literally picking up the pieces around me still after after my um, attack and and wasn't functioning creatively, uh, put myself in this real high pressurized situation of not only having to design a magazine within a month but also being responsible for two designers. Holy yeah. shit! I've got two designers all of a sudden. What the hell? How did that happen? You know, and and uh, it, it was nerve wracking, but. You know, I I just I dug deep. I remembered my steps, um, and and I and and I and I achieved the impossible under the situation. You know, I pulled these designers together. I was able to like from our very first issue build a really really like tight knit uh, team with them, 
and a nice understanding of like where we were going and how we were going to do it. Um, and at the same time designed a brilliant issue of Little White Lies. And uh, I can I can say, you know, I can say it was brilliant because I wasn't alone in thinking <laughs> it was brilliant because yeah. it actually won a DNAD award awesome. for being, you know, the best design magazine of like 2014. And <laughs> I was like, man, what how'd that happen? You know, like here's me just still dipping my toe into the pond again and I managed to pull off the impossible. <laughs> I, I want to... When I found out that I won that DNAD award, I was actually on holidays with a really dear friend of mine. The first time that I'd seen her after um, everything that I'd been through, she's from Australia and we met up halfway in Bali. And um, I got a call from, uh, from the guys at the magazine saying, Timber, we got some news. Uh, you, your first issue won a DNAD award. And it, mate, I started sobbing absolutely sobbing and not from not from a bad place from i had a moment i had one of those euphoric moments man like i literally i couldn't stop i i'd i had snot tears and everything you know my <laughs> friend full on full ugly cry yeah full yeah. ugly cry and uh my friend she's like Fuck, who's, who, who are you talking to are she's you thinking okay something she's horrible like- has happened yeah, thinking something absolutely horrible was happening. I was hyperventilating, <laughs> you know, during these ones. And um, and after I calmed down, I told her what had happened, and 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 then she started crying, and we <laughs> had this like incredible, like natural high, man. You know, yeah. like that. You know, I've like never taken acid before, but I reckon it was probably the equivalent of twenty acid tabs at once. You know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> just this 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 huge euphoric high um and so yeah i think that was like probably one of my most proudest moments not not only that but also the fact that i was able to give a whole like swagger of new artists opportunities in the magazine because up until that point it was a very london-centric magazine yes it wasn't really like commissioning many artists like outside of that little bubble mm-hmm. um and so from my first and also like it was a little bit like male dominated as well and so from the very first issue i made some huge changes and that was right female artists on the cover boom that's one thing and then artists from all around the world and i commissioned uh, you know and i gave some real young like illustrators their first opportunities and like they you know i see those illustrators at exhibitions now 10 years like nearly 10 years on and they're still like you know like timber like thanks for giving me that chance you know what an incredible feeling that's so (laughs) good uh, yeah what i love about this question and i've said this before on the show but i'm going to say it again what i love about this question is 99 nearly percent of designers that I ask this question to, whether they're on the podcast or I'm out for lunch with them and they're a customer or a friend, it's not the project that gave them the big paycheck that allowed them to take the big vacation. It's not the one that allowed them to put a deposit on the Tesla. It's not that job. It's the one for the nonprofit down the street where that nonprofit can now help this person. And they did the job pro bono. It's the job that allowed other designers to elevate themselves along with that creative. Like it's, it's the project from the heart. And that's what I love about this is that it's always that project from the heart. 
Yeah, it, it is, and that, and that, sh- and you know, and that should be every project. Like yes. I feel like money just gets in the way of that. Mm-hmm. You know, money, money is uh, is you know one of the biggest monsters on the planet. It loves to come in and just like you know gobble up all the fun and all of the you know the, the heartfelt energy that goes into these things. But you know, like that's just the nature of the beast, isn't it? But um, yeah, I agree with you, man. Like the 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 ones uh, anybody that I speak to as well when you talk about their favorite projects similar similar story yeah awesome well tim if you've reached the point of the show for the ask it forward question yeah cool. so we'll wrap it up here and uh so i have a question for you from my last guest and you get the opportunity to ask a question of my next guest but i'm not going to tell you who they are cool. so my last guest was santosh chabla he is the senior graphic designer at affinity creative out of oakland california specializes uh-huh. in that premium wine and spirit sort of packaging design world had an awesome conversation with him. He came over from India when he was 24, um, hustled in the game over here. Like it was just incredible. A really, really great interview. Um, and he wanted to ask you the age old classic question. If you had to go to dinner with three people, if you got to go to dinner with three people of your choice, anybody alive, dead, anybody, who <laughs> would they be and why? <sighs> Oh man! First of all, I freaking love this question. This is yeah. so good. Um, oh, can I just say, like, put Tom Hanks in a clone machine and go to dinner with three Tom Hanks? Three Tom Hanks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, Sprinkle a I little mean, Keanu Reeves on there. Oh yeah, Keanu. Yeah, but I'd probably just like you know at some point jump over the table and just plant a whole lot of kisses on him. But yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's fine. Um, no, I mean. Tom Hanks, definitely. Love that guy. Um, uh, let's see. I mean, <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger. I know I'm like just like naming film stars here, but anybody that knows me knows that half of my um, day-to-day language is speaking in, in an Arnie impersonation. Nice. Um, and I'd just like to see how that would go with a conversation with Arnold Schwarzenegger, you yeah. know? <laughs> So then this third person, I want you to tell me who this third person is, and, yep. but I want you to do it in your Arnold Schwarzenegger voice. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Come on. That's too difficult. Come on. Um, no, I think I would, uh, yeah, I would like to bring my godmother back from the grave and she can sit there with me and Arnold Schwarzenegger and Tom Hanks. We can have a nice bratwurst sausage with mashed potatoes come on <laughs> I love it. would you actually have a bratwurst and we fly home <laughs> perfect so we got tom hanks we've got arnold schwarzenegger and we've got was it your grandmother your great-grandmother my, my godmother godmother, my sir. godmother Bob, bobby yeah beautiful i love that i love the answer i love the personality we got in there the swagger in there <laughs> Timba, what is the question you would like me to ask the next guest for you? Yeah, cool. Um, yeah, so my, my question is a little bit inspired by something that I mentioned earlier. When I discovered that, you know, art isn't my be it and end all thing anymore, you know, yeah. like I, I'm, I'm comfortable with like stepping away from that and doing some other things and being, being, being happy uh, with, with 
taking time out from from art and design. I'm curious to know if there are other people um, that feel a similar way. So I want to I want to frame I want to frame the question like this, right? So I love art. Mm -hmm. I love design. But I freaking love snowboarding, man. Right? And mm -hmm. when I'm at the snow, I often think to myself, like, shit, do I like snowboarding or art more? Like, what? Are, but then when I'm doing my art, I'm like, I'm so happy doing that. But then I'm like, the snowboarding starts creeping in. And I'm like, oh, I need, I need to go to the mountains, you know? And I had this like real like uh, battle with this love affair. So my question is, is, is this your main love? You know, like, is art your main love or do you have a little bit of naughty on the side that like really just, you know, wants to pull you over for a quickie every now and again? I love it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that's so funny. So you bring the question, you know, is art and design your your full love, or do you have a side chick that you're struggling with? <laughs> or, a, or a side or a side bloke, you yeah, know. Perfect. Yeah. Gotta make gotta make sure it's uh, equal, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Equal opportunity. Everybody's good. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Tim, that's a great question. I'm looking forward to asking that of the next guest. You'll have to listen in to hear who I had to ask that question to. Great. And um, you've reached the end of the Quickie Podcast, man. I really appreciate your time and sharing your story. And my God, there are so many gems here. Um, thank you so much. You're welcome, Dave. It's been great chatting to you, man. Yeah, I've really enjoyed every minute of it. I love that. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, this interview with Timba Smith. What an awesome dude. A tall dude and an awesome dude. Um, if you have not had a chance to leave a rating and a review for the show on Apple Podcasts, please head over and do that. Those make me smile, and I bet you they'll make Timba smile too. Maybe leave a joke or a limerick of some kind in there for us to check out. Um, also, do not forget to go get your free ticket, Summit dot dave talks dot com now tomorrow i've got a bonus episode because i'm interviewing some of the people talking at this summit and they're going to share some knowledge bombs with you so we'll see you tomorrow <laughs>